This podcast is brought to you by Church Society, a fellowship contending to reform and renew the Church of England in biblical faith. information about Church Society and all the things that we do on our website churchsociety.org. You'll also find there the full archive of the podcast. Well welcome to another Church Society podcast. My name is Chris Moore. I am one of the, well I used to be one of the regional directors for Church Society. I'm now director for wider church engagement uh, for Church Society and I'm joined by our director by Lee Gatiss and we're coming to talk about providence which is pretty uncontentious but to talk about the darker side of providence that we might see those times when we think that maybe god has abandoned us those occasions where it looks like everything is going wrong and we wonder is god in this at all and for those of us who are in the church of england as we recall this at the beginning of 2024 it's not difficult to think of all sorts of things which are going wrong and it begs the question is is god in this uh, can we trust god in this and for a number of reasons. I spent a lot of time uh, over the past three or four years reading through various Scottish uh, works of church history or of theology more widely. And again in them, again and again in them, I discovered this phrase, this idea of the dark providences of God. These are the times when it's not easy for us to discern God's hand in something. Those times when we go through difficulties and ask ourselves whether God is there. I suppose if we're thinking of a well-known psalm, Psalm 23, this is when we're being led through the valley of the shadow of death on the way to that banquet. So I thought Leon and I, we might have a discussion about that, something which might be useful for us. And I wondered, Lee, perhaps we'll start with this question. Do you think that our thinking on providence is, is rather I perhaps coloured by the 21st century consumerism, the therapeutic culture in which we inhabit, when we start to think that God only, the blessings of God only are in good things, and that if something bad happens, therefore God's not in it. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I think um, I think there is a strand of our thinking, whether we acknowledge it or not, that that seems to um, imagine that what God wants most of all is my happiness. Um, that, mm. that that God wants me to be happy and healthy and and jolly all the time, and that, that everything should be light when I follow God. Um, that 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 Jesus's way is the way to personal fulfilment and joy. And um, partly that's right, because there is joy in following Jesus. And one day we will live in a world where uh, He is King when He returns. Uh, that is full of uh, happiness and joy and lightness and everything's good. But that's not the world we live in now, um, that we live in the sort of overlap of the ages where there is still uh, sin within us. There's still the effects of sin and the fall in the world. And not everything goes well for us. Um, and that's that's difficult. We have to trust Jesus. Everything is by faith alone. Um, and so we have to trust Jesus that the world he's promised us is coming and will come. Um, but we do not yet see it. Um, and so I, th- I think that modern um, individual 
expression um, idea that it's all about me and me uh, having fulfillment and enjoyment and happiness uh, has infected our thinking. And we do tend to think of Jesus and the gospel and God as someone we use to achieve our goals of happiness. And that's that's exactly the wrong way round. We don't use God. We can enjoy God. Um, and that is our goal in life. Our aim, our chief end is to glorify God and be enjoyed by him and to enjoy him. Um, but it, it's not the other way around. He's not someone who serves our happiness. He wants our holiness, not our happiness, you might say. Hmm. I, I, it puts me in mind, there's a quote from Luther, uh, and I think he's picking up from Augustine on this, although I may be wrong, talking about sin being effectively being turned in upon ourselves. And to the extent that we even want to use the good providences of God for our own ends, our own purposes. So creation becomes just about us. So in a sense, although I'm suggesting this is a modern phenomenon, it looks as if it was there certainly in 16th century uh, Europe, this idea that everything in the end is focused upon me and that's the most important thing. And I suppose thinking about the Reformation then and thinking about the period following it, we we have seen in periods of the history of the church that it does look as if everything's going wrong. The the great turmoil in uh, this country, in England, that we had during the Civil War. And I have found it interesting that many of the writers on this kind of thing, this sort of theme of the dark providences of God, often come from that period because they're living through difficulty rather than a rather nice sort of comfortable world that often we inhabit. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, we only have to think of um, the ejection of the Puritans and of many believing ministers during that period. So in 1662, a glorious year for Anglican liturgy, you might say, 1662 prayer book and so on. But it was also the year in which hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of ministers, godly, faithful ministers, were barred from being in ministry in the Church of England. Um, That was certainly a dark providence. And many of the um, reflections of the Puritans at that time uh, show that they wrestled with this. What is happening? Why, why has God done this to us? Why is this being allowed? Is this presaging some uh, great uh, upheaval and judgment of God upon us? Have we lost the gospel forever? The glory of England is the gospel, uh, said one uh, great ejection sermon. Um, and if we've lost the gospel, then all hope has gone for England. Um, and many of them were persecuted for the next 25 years Um, pushed out of the church, of the state, of the academy, of the schools. You weren't even allowed to be a school teacher uh, if you were um, if you weren't able to conform to the Church of England at that point. Um, uh, That was totally iniquitous and in a terrible um, piece of arbitrary malice on the part of uh, the state. And um, and that was difficult. That was a a terrible time. And it, it reflected other times in church history, too. Uh, you only have to think against Ath- about uh, Athanasius Contramundum. Athanasius, who stood for the orthodox doctrine of uh, the, the Trinity and Christology, that Christ was God, is God, um, against the Arians, who said that he was not God. And it did look as if the Arians had the upper hand in that debate for a long time. 
Athanasius himself was exiled four or five times uh, in his life and ministry. And, and things didn't always go well for Orthodox faith. Um, and these times have come and will come in church history. It's something we should expect because the Bible tells us so. Um, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3 that in the last days will come terrible times and there will be false teachers who um, teach what people's itching ears want to hear uh, and they will have the upper hand in the church Mm -hmm. for for some periods and we then have to wrestle with that and what that looks like for us when we're trying to remain faithful to his word and to live lives that are pleasing to him. I was struck during the pandemic. I I send out an email every day to um, the congregation members here. And after a number of months, you start to think, right, what am I going to say now? And I read through it's um, Well, there's an abridged version. I think it's All Things for Good by Thomas Watson, the banner um, of truth published, which I think the longer title, which is, of, of course, very long, being a Puritan work, is something around the divine cordial. But that sense that even affliction... God uses for our good. So he's taking the, the verse from Romans, all things work for good for those who love God. And there's and he's applying that. So if I'm being afflicted, that must be working for my good in some way. And you've got this thing, haven't you, the end of Genesis, where um, you've got all this business with uh, Joseph and being thrown into a pit and, and all, all the rest of it. And Joseph says, as his brothers right at the end of Genesis come and fall down trembling before him, uh, says you, Joseph says to them, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So there is that sense that God uses in the wide scheme of history. But I think he also uses providence in the very, our very personal part of it as well. I'm going to read you just something from, from Thomas Watson because because I printed it out, so I may as well. Of course, but, you must use that. It's a good quote if you've got it. I am going to say I've got two, but I should certainly say one. As ploughing prepares the earth for a crop, so affliction prepares and makes us meet for glory. The painter lays his gold upon dark colours, so God first lays the dark colours of affliction, and then he lays the golden colour of glory. The vessel is first seasoned before the wine is poured into it. The vessels of mercy are first seasoned with affliction, and then the wine of glory is poured in. Thus we see the afflictions are not prejudicial, but beneficial to the saints. We should not so much look at the evil of affliction as the good, not so much at the dark side of the cloud as the light. The worst that God does to his children is to whip them into heaven. Which is a challenging quote, particularly if you are suffering, particularly if you're in a dark place. But it's forcing us to pray and to think and to meditate and consider, meditate on the scripture and consider that God uses this for our our good as well. And I know it's a cliche to say, well, when you suffer, if God throws you upon prayer, it throws you upon God's mercy. But there is an element of truth in that cliche as well. Absolutely. And God, God is most intimately involved in the most minute details of our lives. Um, It isn't like he suddenly is absent in any way, shape or form. Uh, Jesus said, are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. 
even the hairs of your head are numbered. I mean, this is not in the text, but we might add, not a hair of your head will fall to the ground without your father knowing and being involved in that, which is a reassurance for for those without much hair or who are starting to have to comb over um, as they get older. Um, So, you know, God is involved. He knows even the number of hairs on your head. Um, So he is intimately involved and caringly involved in everything that happens in this world, it's part, providence is part of his care for the world and his love for the world. He knows everything that's happening um, and nothing happens apart from him noticing and knowing and being involved in it. Um, and we see that in, as individuals. The, the psalmist often cries out, well, where is God? You know, I, I don't feel close to God right now. Um, where is your God? People say to me, and, and I don't know the answer. It doesn't feel like God is close to me, but he is. He's intimately involved. And that's a, a ground for hope in Psalm 42, for example, where the psalmist is feeling that distance from God. And yet he said, well, why are you so downcast, um, my soul? Why so disturbed? Put your hope in God. I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. So I don't feel it right now. It feels like God is distant and away from me, and I, and I have no hope. And yet, I know that I can somehow put my hope in him, and I will yet praise him. So you can trust God, even in the darkest times, personally. And I think that must be then the case for the church as a whole, at, at large. Um, we can trust him in ministry. We can trust him for the large-scale things going on in the Church of England right now. We can put our hope in God that something good will come out of the dark providences that we are experiencing in the Church of England right now. Please tell me that's right, Chris. <laughs> of course I will. And I think maybe the lesson then from that is, is one of patience, isn't it? So we find ourselves in these dark places. We find ourselves in these difficulties. We reassure ourselves, because it is the case, that God is with us nonetheless. And, you know, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me, that we have that trust that God is there. So I suppose at that stage, our response is rather than to try and engineer some sort of result, is to be patient and to exercise the ministry of plodding on, that we we keep doing the things that we do. We pray, we read the scriptures, we we are merciful, we, we carry on our Christian calling and we rely and patiently rely on God for the rest. And I'm struck that you were saying after the great ejection in 1662 that there was that period of 25 years worth of persecution, that we're talking a generation of persecution. So the patience, the revealing of what the providence of God is, may actually take a generation to come clear. You might not know in the midst of it. And I would perhaps suggest that that is maybe the lesson that we have on the storm on the lake, where Jesus says, literally says, we will go through to the other side. And there's that sense that in the midst of the storm, Jesus seems to be, well, he is asleep. And the disciples are, are fearful. But the fact of the matter is that Jesus, that God is still there with them and he can still the storm. They needn't be fearful. He could just do that at a moment. But the lesson is nonetheless that if God says we will get through to the other side, to the other side, we will get through that we have to trust in that patiently. patiently. 
and he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And another another prayer that we can trust that that will happen. The gospel will go out. Um, people will come to believe in him and there, there will be um, a multitude that no one can number before Christ on that great and terrible day at the end of time. So, um, you know, we can trust in that promise, even when it seems that the church is being pushed back, that our country is secularising apace um, and that the church is is being torn apart, um, rent asunder by heresies and schisms and all sorts of problems, immorality and so on. Uh, John Owen talked about this a little bit during that period in the 17th century. Um, he talked about the dark and difficult dispensation of providence when uh, when the world is, is full of confusion and blood and, and, and drew us back to think about when Jesus talked about terrible times, nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, wars, bloodshed, earthquakes, the very elect shall hardly escape. Um, and, and we see this all over scripture, a day of darkness, thick darkness, a dark and gloomy day um, we see in the Old Testament. And, and John Owen sort of concludes um, after talking about this by saying there is nothing to be seen in all the confusions that are in the world at this day, but that the frogs or unclean spirits are gone forth to stir up the lusts of men to make havoc of one another. Uh, and we do see that in our own day, don't we? The lusts of men and women have gone forth to stir up and uh, make havoc in the world and in the church. Uh, and we mustn't despair at such a time. We're to expect such times. And if we don't have such times in our day, give thanks. But uh, don't think that that's a usual thing in the church. That would be to, as you say, imbibe prosperity theology, which teaches us that everything should be light and wonderful and, and great and health, wealth and prosperity uh, if we're following Jesus. No, the Bible leads us to expect that if we follow Jesus, there will still be times of thick darkness, gloom and difficult dark providence. Well, on that note, we'll pause for an advert. May I bring to your attention a new book from Church Society called Reforming Church, written by George Crowder. The subtitle, How God is at Work in Revitalization Ministry. So this is a book written about this kind of ministry of revitalizing churches in the Church of England. It's written with insight, with humor and a depth of experience and gives the highs and lows of this kind of ministry, as well as sage advice about bringing a church ministry to life. And... Also, at the end of this book, there's a chapter from Paul Darnington on evangelical ministry in non-evangelical parishes. So I commend this book to you. It's available on the Church Society website. Give it a look, and even more, perhaps give it a read. Well, welcome back. Um... Lee, we're, we're talking about dark providence, and I suppose the, the supreme example of, of this would be in the life of, of Jesus himself. Is that fair to say? Oh, most certainly. That's right. And he was here's a man who always lived pleasing God in everything that he did because he was God himself and had a, a perfect, sinless 
nature. Um, and yet everything didn't go swimmingly for Jesus. He, the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. Uh, people opposed him at every turn. And how did it end up for Jesus? Just, just remind myself about that. That's right. He was crucified. Um, so things don't always go well. And yet God was not absent from any of that. So, um, for example, one of the earliest reflections on what happened at the cross, uh, Peter says uh, Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God in Acts chapter two, when he's doing that great sermon at the beginning of Acts. A little later in Acts as well, we hear in um, uh, in Acts chapter four, something very similar. Um, Peter says, truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate. I think he's referring them to the, the Gentiles who are plotting in vain in mm -hmm. uh, in Psalm 2. And then he says what they did was whatever your hand, God, your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So, yes, we're going to experience the kings of the earth and the nations plotting um, in vain against the Lord and his anointed. And yet it's all whatever God's hand has predestined um, and his definite plan and foreknowledge is involved even in the crucifixion of his son. And so if if that's what we see, at that central focus, focal point of history and our, our salvation then I think we can also expect that in our own lives, that we may see bad things happening to us. Um, as we crucify the flesh, we too will be opposed um, in many ways. Um, and yet, it's not outside the providence of God and his intimate care for us. This is happening with his full knowledge and it's within his plan. You are not outside the plan of God if you are suffering because Jesus suffered and he most certainly was not outside the plan of God mm. being God. Yeah. And so I suppose, well, we see obviously that clearly demonstrated there, but we also see in that the fact that as you were, uh, or let's say as, as somebody in the street in Jerusalem is watching all of this going on, that you would have assumed that that it was all going wrong. You know, cursed is he who's hung upon the tree, as, as Paul reflects in Galatians, drawing on Deuteronomy. So this would suggest that it's not always easy to discern what is going on. The providence of God is not always a crystal clear thing. And we need to be wary, perhaps, of over-interpreting the events that we're in the middle of. We're trying to rush to a conclusion as to what, God is doing. I'm going to read something else from Thomas Watson because um, because he puts it well. So why wouldn't I steal his words? So he's writing on this. Oh, go on. You give me give me your you're the, the 17th century scholar. <laughs> well, he's a 17th century Puritan. That's what we need to say, really. Indeed. So he writes this. Providence is the hand that turns all the wheels in the universe. It's the pilot who steers the ship of the creation. Providence are, sorry, providences are sometimes dark, often difficult to decipher. God often writes in shorthand. His providences are often secret, but always wise. The transactions of providence are not seen clearly at first. The painter at the first makes but a rough draft of his picture. First a hand, then an eye. 
but when he hath filled up every part and laid on his colours, it is beautiful to behold. We who live in this age of the church see but a rough draught of God's providence, but when we reach heaven and see all the lineaments of God's providence drawn out and completed, all will be perfection and wisdom and mercy. Kindness and love will seal the whole. God's providence is greatly to be observed, but we are not to make it the rule of our actions. Whoso is wise will observe these things. It is good to observe providence, but we must not make it our rule to walk by. Providence should be to the Christian as his diary, but not his Bible. So there's quite a lot. I like that. It reminds me of a scene in, and there's a film about the uh, the painter Turner, um, starring Timothy Spall. I forget the name of the film, actually. But at the, at part of that film, uh, he's done a wonderful seascape um, and he wants to add to it during the, um, the, the, the presentation in the gallery. And he's got all these uh, critics and others around uh, looking at him. And he just goes up to his painting and puts what <clears throat> and, and puts what close in looks like a splodge of red paint in the middle of this painting. And, and if you're standing quite close, you think, oh, he's made a mess of that. That looks terrible. What has he done? Why has he spoiled it like that? But then when you step back, you can actually see that what he's done is drawn uh, a boy or something uh, bobbing up and down in the ocean. So you can't see it close in. You can't understand what that splodge is. But when you look back at the whole painting from a distance, it snaps into perspective. And I think that's just what Thomas Watson was also talking about there, isn't it? Um, It's Mm. difficult to understand the providence of God when we're close to the events themselves. The event I always think of there is the, the men um, that Jesus comes to walk with on the road to Emmaus at the end of mm. Luke's gospel. And Jesus is there. The risen Jesus is there with them. And he's like, so, well, you know, how's it going, guys? Um, oh, we're a bit depressed, you know. Um, don't you know about Jesus? Oh, no. What do you mean? What do you mean? What, 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 are, you, what are you talking about? Well, you know, uh, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. So they've read everything that's going on uh, in Jerusalem over the Easter weekend as um, a defeat. Oh, we really hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. And yet there he is, (laughs) the risen Jesus standing right next to them going, well, yeah, actually, um, I have redeemed Israel. You know, that is why I came and here I am, risen. Mm. Um, from the dead so they they couldn't see it but he could yeah and so i suppose if we're going to try and sort of bring this into land but but in a pastoral way so that it's not simply a theoretical issue then we need to cling not only to a sense of patience but also a sense that that god doesn't Abandus, I will be with him in trouble. He writes in, in well, we write, read in Psalm 91. And even though I strength. walk through the valley of the shadow of, of the death, shadow I of will death. fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and they, your staff, they comfort me. You are mm. with me, even in the valley of the shadow of death. So the response we have is is simply that that sanctified plodding on. It's that trusting that God is there, not seeking to overinterpret or to second guess where God is leading, but follow on the 
path that Christ has led us. We, we keep the commandments of God, we read the scriptures, we pray, we love one another, and we do the basic Christian walking, even though we acknowledge we're not quite sure where that path is going to end. But we acknowledge we're on a pilgrimage, but we're not quite sure what the end point is. But nonetheless, the point is we, we are to keep moving. I suppose the wrong, the temptation, the wrong thing to do is to simply just give up or to have despair or to think that somehow God's given up on us um, and sort of read and misunderstand providence in that way. Yeah, I mean, if we're expecting in the ministry um, and in the life of the church, um, if we're expecting to march across the land, claiming the ground for Jesus and seeing great revival all the time, and our church is growing and thriving and uh, being prosperous, I think maybe we've been infected with some of that um, sort of Pentecostal um, prosperity theology, because that isn't how it's necessarily going to be. But then when that doesn't actually come to fruition... When it looks like false teaching and um, immorality have taken over the church, you can get really de depressed because it hasn't worked out. We thought it was going to be, you know, claiming the ground for Jesus, winning all the nation for Christ. And it doesn't seem to be going that way. We're a tiny percentage of the UK and we're a small percentage within the Church of England. And, you know, where is this great, glorious um, revival winning of the nation it's not there um maybe our expectations are in need of a bit of tweaking and that what we need to be is faithful not necessarily prosperously successful in all of our evangelism that's not to take away from the glorious fact that you know people are becoming christians um churches are being built we are growing um things like that do happen but it's all about expectation in this life. You know, heaven is to come. We're not going to mm. see that in this life necessarily. We, we can pray for revival. We can pray for restoration or whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and for those things to happen, for gospel growth. But let's keep our uh, minds fixed on heaven, not upon growing a glorious empire here below necessarily. Mm. Am I just being too uh, negative and pessimistic about um, the gospel in this life? I mean, I think it's a long term thing rather than something I'm going to see in my lifetime. God may well, prove well, me I wrong. Think, <laughs> well, I think we need a, a death before you get a resurrection. I think that's certainly the case. Uh, I think as well, I mean, you mentioned revivals and the obvious thing to say about a revival is that they always come out of times when the church is weak. You know, otherwise it's just a straight line upwards to glory. But that's not the way that we've seen the kingdom of God progressing and or the gospel progressing in our nation. It has been peaks and troughs and it's a zigzaggy line. It goes up, but it's a zigzaggy line. And yes, I think the lesson of history is that uh, you, you do need these dark times. And then some because let's be frank, if it was all about growth and if it was all a question of, you know, if we can get enough money in the right places and everything will happen. There's no glory for God in that. It's all about our works bringing about heaven. And that's not how it is. And God is only really glorified, A, when we give him the glory for things. But also, it's obvious that this had to be a work of God because, you know, there our human frailties are so weak in that when, way. So when think, God yeah, is weak, when we are weak, rather, God is strong. Um, and his Indeed. power is made perfect in weakness. And we want it to be shown that it was him 
who did these yeah. things, not our great skill and uh, talent in being such wonderful preachers and fabulous pastors, then that's why the church grew. That would be terrible, wouldn't it? Because then we'd be focused on the great celebrities who have got the big growing churches. Because then we yeah. think, oh, that's what I need. I need to be like them because uh, then I can copy that and have the same thing. And that's partly another thing that we see in the West, isn't it, at the moment? I mean, in other parts of the world, too. But um, in our part of the, the, the world, we see people flocking around celebrity pastors, celebrity preachers who have grown things. Uh, and we see mm. people idolising those who lead large organisations. Well, that doesn't always end well, does it? Um, Paul of Ennels comes to mind. No. Um, mm. you, you could lead a large, large organisation, but there can be all sorts of rottenness underneath. Um, and if it's all about you and your glory, then, well, maybe God isn't going to bless that. He wants the glory mm. to go to the Lord Jesus. So we accept that at times life is tough. We accept that that means that, or rather doesn't mean that God has abandoned us. We accept that our calling is is just to keep going on doing the, what I suppose you'd want to call the ordinary means of grace, but carry on doing the normal parts of our Christian life and leave the rest to God and leave the rest of God's timing. It's kind of a humbling message, but then maybe that's the point of all of this, that when we are finding ourselves in dark places, it does rather humble us and perhaps it does throw us much more on God's mercy. It makes me long for great days of revival. Um, you know, we can oh, pray yeah. Psalm 85, you know, Lord, you, you revived us in the past. Please revive us again. It makes me long for that. Um, but I won't necessarily expect it to happen in my day. And because if it doesn't, I'm still going to carry on trusting God. Even in this valley of darkness, I'm going to keep trusting God, whether he brings that revival or not, um, because that's all up to him. I'm just here to be the splodge on the painting um, that when we look back from the vantage point of eternity, we'll be part of the, the, the picture. But it's going to feel a bit splodgy and grey and dark and um, mysterious in the here and now. And so perhaps from two grey, mysterious splodges, we shall leave you, dear listener, to lead out your lives, simply doing what God calls us to do and leaving the rest to him. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Church Society podcast. You can find the whole podcast archive on our website, churchsociety.org. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your usual podcast app. And we'd love it if you were able to leave a review or give us a rating over there as well. Mm-hmm.